Oh. I know I'm drunk now. Ladies and gentlemen, I, for, I forgot. Is that a Superman cup? His name is Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina. Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina. Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina. Mr. Mr. Doubleina, Mr. Bob Doubleina. Mr. Doubleina. Are you happy with your your choice? I now give choices. For the songs. Uh, this is the one I'm just I trying need. to figure out. Please I'm trying to figure out you how you've ever heard of this. You loved it. You really make me sick of your Welcome everyone to episode 148 of the Light Shed Podcast. Walter Pysik, Brandon Ross, and Mr. Richard Greenfield. I like that song because it gave me a vibe of Jill Scott Heron. Um, the revolution will not be televised. A similar type of, you and know. He's he's dead, so that's that. Uh, that's he didn't die this week, though. Music. He didn't die this week, no. though, because he would have. And, and Dell is Dell is still alive, thank God. <laughs> he's featured on the new Gorillas album, but only extended version. I wonder if that's what happens each week. Someone hears a song that they may recognize, and then like, oh shit, did that person die? And I didn't read about it. I don't think that many people know Dell though. They should though, if the, because I think a lot of our listeners probably listen to Gorillas, and he's featured at least very prominently on the first album, and a little bit on subsequent ones. Anyway, anywho, anywho, thank God we're moving off that topic. Walter P. Pisick, that's me. Um, your background this week is a Direct TV box, so I assume yes. that you want to get into. Uh, not telco corner or connectivity corner, but video connectivity corner early in the podcast, or is that just up there for uh, for these are, to be these retro, are, like Dell was retro? These for people, a lot of people still have boxes in their houses, cable boxes, satellite boxes. And after 24 years as a customer beers, of direct- be, Boxes year, of beers. Year, no, boxes of cable boxes and satellite boxes. Boxes of wires. That too. Lots of wires. Chargers. <laughs> um, after 24 years as a DirecTV customer, yesterday I completed a 15 to 20 minute retention call that finally enabled me to cancel. I had to basically tell the person who did an admirable job. Um, I just don't watch any <laughs> channels on DirecTV. At one point she said, and I said, well, I only watch Netflix now. Um, because I just wanted to end the, lies, the call as quickly lies. as possible and stop stop her script. And she goes, Well, you do know that most of the TV series on Netflix come from DirecTV. Huh? <laughs> that, wait, was wait, part wait. Of, that was part no, of the pitch. Pro- she, uh, well, I guess she's probably saying, like, you could watch Grey's Anatomy on DirecTV. Rich. Yeah, but that's most, not most. most of the TV no. series on Netflix. No. How's that for a retention script? I mean, it's aggressive. It's very aggressive. But it also just reminds me of like when you elect to enter into service with a cable provider or a satellite provider, 
this is what you have to go through at the end. Like you have to waste 15 to 20 minutes of your life. You can't cancel online. Like you can't. Well, 15 like, I can minutes can't... is better than four hours. Correct. Because I went direct to the heart of it and just said, I don't watch TV anymore. Right. And I just said, there's nothing you can do to retain me um, to try and end the call as soon as. And I did it politely, you know, because obviously did, you don't want to. Did she offer you free Sunday ticket to stay? <laughs> we didn't get to the pricing aspect because I just said, I just don't. Why would I pay for something? I don't watch any of the chat. And then she started to say, well, we it looks like you're watching this. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are you are you watching Whoa. what I'm watching? I don't like that. So She came off that one. Um Bad. So now my challenge is going to be, we'll see how this goes. I'll update on future podcasts. I get to stack all my direct. I thought I owned my boxes, but apparently I'm going to have to mail them back. All right. And so if not get charged some fee. You'll, you'll, you'll put them in the mail or, you, or you'll take what companies refer to as a one-time charge. So now only two. So we don't only bash on the MVPDs or whatever this thing is called behind me. The multi-channel. What's the thing that Rich loves to say? The multi-channel, whatever. The MVPD bundle is I'm, in I'm also, deep trouble. <laughs> I'm also hashtag cleaning. good luck bundle, hashtag good luck retrans, hashtag good luck RSNs, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. So I'm also trying to clean up my streaming services, um, figuring out where I'm paying for what. Um, hopefully Plus Play will help me with this in the future. But There's an app for that, Walt. I get an ad we, for it on Instagram every day. I will preface this by saying I was very positive on Paramount Plus in the past, but this was not the perfect. When I went to Paramount Plus, I wanted to help them out and give them an annual subscription to save me some money. They had some back office technical issues. It looks like my credit card might've been charged three times. We'll see. But but then when there's like, when you're trying to contact someone to help resolve the issue, dude, that is a circular loop compared to Verizon, which, and we'll get into this in future podcasts because I'm doing some changes on the, on the fiber and the, and the wireless side as well. Everyone can't wait to hear about that. Dude, billing problems this? corner. <laughs> I mean, people have to deal with this. Well, it's just, so you, Walt, you're basically but Verizon saying- had a Verizon had a real person in chat that resolved the issue. There was literally no one that not even an email address I could send to Paramount Plus to resolve the fact that it appeared that I was charged three times. Well, Anthony listens to this. He's been contacted about this. Anthony, you got to do something about it. I think it, I don't want corporate help because I want the consumer. But my point on that rant, which was not even a rant, is just that, look, the telcos. I feel like you were getting me back for a bad music choice during that rant. The telco. Brandon, people care about it. This is their every day that everyone's going to have to I deal kid, with. I kid. I kid. So, but the issue, Rich, because these are your people, is, and your people, Brandon, is. My people. Verizon, as an example, and DirecTV to a certain extent, have had years and years and years of, of in a competitive market serving the consumer. And there's there's certainly going to be aspects within the streaming world where you're going to come across like random technical glitches. And, you know, there's not people on the other end of the line. And that's the type of stuff that causes churn. Just to be clear, you're not having a technical glitch. You are having issues related to expanding your subscription so sort of the challenge is as these companies try to incorporate multiple services into one right that's essentially what you were saying because you were looking at sort of how to incorporate showtime into paramount plus was that effectively what you were trying to do i, I was i was trying to go from um whatever Param basic paramount plus to do the annual subscription that also included showtime so it was a double i went from a monthly to an annual 
right? The and only then good also news combine is, the services. Yep. The only good news for you is they are shortly getting rid of Showtime and it will be folded into Paramount Plus. So at least there won't be two separate services. Still the 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 monthly versus annual technical glitch. But you're missing the point, Rich. Like, Your point is whatever, there's no whatever humans the to talk glitch, to. There isn't an easy human to talk to. That's the problem. To, to yeah, for problem resolution. And most people aren't yep. going to be. Most people are lazy and not going to be resisting. Like fuck it, I don't need. I just don't need to watch it. I'll just cancel. Or even not even sign up if they can't get on the first time. That's tr- that too. Right. All well, I wanted to talk about was fucking Rich's Uber rating. Oh, and I had to listen to that. For those who don't know, it, this was the most astounding thing that happened this week, in my view. Rich has a 4.41 Uber rating, and Walt looked up what that meant. And according to Uber, anything under 4.58 is extremely rare and puts the rider in jeopardy of losing his ability to ride Ubers. <laughs> I have That's never had trouble getting two. an Uber. I've never had trouble getting an Uber. Well, yeah, First of all, it, this originated from the fact that I had an Uber driver that didn't have fucking easy pass. That is true. So, so the question that is, is like, if you question like, dude, how do you not have easy pass? Then all of a sudden the guy's going to give you like a two-star rating. But how do you yes. not question like you don't but, have easy pass? And how but, are you, how does Uber allow a driver not to have easy pass? No, that's fucking stupid. And on the driver's part, it slows his efficiency down, obviously, and he could do less trips. But what what I did understand, we said to Rich, on average, he gets le- a five star less than half the time, which no, I think is that's hard not to do. true. Not I, no, no, that no. is not true. But he actually <laughs> looked in, he looked into it and realized that in his last five hundred trips, fifty eight times he got one Fif- star. Fifty four. 54, 54 times. So more than 10% of the time you got one star. I'm going to provide 80% part- of the time I got five stars. Okay. But what are you doing? 10% I'm going to tell you what he's doing because I've ridden star. in Ubers with him and I'll know. I'll tell you exactly what he's doing. Nearly every time I've been in an Uber with him, he's telling the driver which way to go. And people don't want to hear that. Drivers don't want to hear that. So they're going to give you a one star because they get, oh, this guy's fucking telling me where to go. Like, I can't, like, I don't drive in New York City every day. And that's why you get one star. Simple. Does this mean that Rich has control problems? He just can't let go. He wants to get there. And, and, but, Brian, at the end of the day, Rich, when you hit Uber, does someone not pick you up with a 4 4 rating? I don't know because I'll, I'll get, I'll be honest with you. This is the truth. Every time we order an Uber, Rich always orders an uber black suv and i'm like why the fuck are you ordering an uber black suv that our costs are going to go up and he's like you're so cheap you don't get an uber black no i get an uber x i'm cheap because i get an uber x the real reason is <laughs> because rich can't get any other type of uber they're not to showing show him those cars him. <laughs> exactly because <laughs> he has just to not- pay a okay, premium yeah. he has to a premium because his uber rating is so low one more anecdote and this is your defense (laughs) so you should take this in youth soccer there is the referee gives a rating to the coach the kids and the parents and at the end of the season you can actually look and say okay the arm monk was here scarsdale was here and so everyone's like complaining like oh what you know dealing with the rest like you know what happens to the to whoever finishes last in the ratings for parents in at the in, in like whether westchester youth soccer nothing nothing and at the end of the day like if rich can still get an uber rich if you want to tell him which way to drive you go ahead and do it i fully approve of that 
Could we I just remember, Rich, remember when we had drinks with Ned Siegel a couple of months ago and he ordered an Uber and he ordered a regular Uber X and then our Uber showed up and it was like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar Mercedes. And, and the guy who no doubt he's getting like a fifty million dollar payout, I guess, if Elon ever like gives it to him. Like this guy is like, why are you getting such a fancy Uber? He texted into us. Now we know why, Rich. <laughs> now we know why. All right, let's move uh, on to the slides of the day. Well, <laughs> we have we we have nonsense to start off our podcast this week, and you know we just, sometimes we just had some, fifteen minutes. Of sometimes I feel a moral duty to um, highlight the insanity of what has happened to the research profession. So. Earlier this week, um, another analyst, uh, Laura Martin, was on CNBC. Let's let's listen to this really priceless clip when she's talking about Netflix. I mean, what could be that kind of consistent cash flow generative asset for them? They would have to buy something because today they're single. They're singles. You know, they're building games, but games is a money loser too. So they're a single line business, which loses a lot of money. So. Um, okay, so Netflix is is a basically a single line business. I mean, they started advertising, but let's just say it's essentially a single line subscription business for the video subscription business that has positive free cash flow of over $3 billion this year. So um, I would love to understand when she says it loses money. I wonder whether she's actually even read the financial statements because I remember there was um, there was, I, I still remember when she was talking about, remember when she was interviewing Dave Gandler on sports betting, Brandon. Oh, and dude, that was the best. Do you remember that? Can you, yeah. can you give us so a replay we, of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have to, I mean, spend our time necessarily just shitting on poor Laura Martin. But she did say that their biggest opportunity was sports betting. And then she said, but I know nothing about it. So can you tell us about it, Dave? That was an actual question in a conference statement slash question. Do you know how the song, Mr. Bob Davalina, do you know what the, the chorus goes? It's like, no, oh, you're stupid, Mr. Bob. Davalina. Is this the same analyst that that covered Fubo? Because I was <laughs> I was, you know, I bookmark a lot of tweets. Yeah. And I, I came back to this tweet back in December of 2020 um, from one of Rich Rich's trolls that, um, you know, sent me shit in the in the mail since I've got the corporate address. Anyway, this person said uh, Q3 2020 revenue, this is for Fubo TV, was 61 million, Rich. Your egregious sell-off price target of $8 is ridiculous. This would suggest a, a $550 million market cap. Obviously, the share count was wrong. Um, Needham has a $60 target. The only compelling short is yours, which the SEC enforcement should investigate. And then Bill Manning follows up with long Fubo. Needham is smarter than you, and they have a great track record. So I was considering, so the reason I bring that up is I noticed on my Bloomberg terminal, which costs a lot of money, yeah. that Needham had, um, a, uh, they reiterated a buy with their $3 price target. Was there a, was there a 20 for one stock split? No, no, no. There has not been a stock split here. This was oh. just, um, yeah, it was compelling at 60. It's compelling at two or what is it today three. no yeah the target's three i think it's like a buck 70 today though it's compelling one dollar and 71 cents that my 2200 dollars for this month just got me that uh 
got me that number. Why don't we move on away Aww. from La- Laura? We apologize. Brandon, why don't you read the next slide? we got a lot of stuff on RSNs here. Ooh, Sportico. Exclusive MSG Plus will launch this summer, charging $30 a month, $310 a year for access to all MSG minus produced. Is that what that's? or MSG dash produced Knicks, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, and Sabres games, plus 24 seven access to the company's linear content. So for $30 a month, that's 360. That's a dollar a day um, for the year. You can now get MSG plus, which is quite expensive. Um, I think that's basically half of the MVPD bundle you're paying for just msg plus i don't fully understand that 310 dollars pricing because all those teams only play five or six months a year so at six months times 30 you'd get to 180 the point being here is it is a very difficult problem to solve to price an over-the-top bundle in a way that isn't going to get you dropped from your mvpd partner so you have to price high and you, if we go to fully over the top at some point, which we've said several times will not be good for retaining the casual sports fan, um, then you're probably, yeah, you're pricing out yeah, all the can, casual can, sports fans. Can we just go back? Because I actually think the pricing actually sort of makes sense. Because think about it. If you subscribe for the full year, yes, through traditional forms, you're paying what, eight or nine dollars a month? Uh, Actually, it's $10 a month. Okay, fine. So you're paying $120 a month. So they need you to you subscribe. No, Correct. they need they need to get four three, months. Three times. Get... I I understand I understand that. Four months at 30, is, you make more money. Um, no, because of cross subsidization. What percent of viewers are actually watching? No, no. I'm just saying if if a consumer peels out of the bundle. Yes. At $10 a month. So I leave Spectrum or Fios in the New York area and I peel out and I take YouTube TV, which doesn't have MSG, but then I choose to supplement for the few months of the year that I care about the Knicks or the Rangers or the Islanders or whatever. Okay. If I subscribe for four months, they've made actually more money than what they would have made through the big bundle. Now, obviously, there's a whole bunch of people who may not subscribe which is obviously the problem that you're pointing out, which is, hey, you may lose somebody completely uh, because they're not no, subscribing. I, I, honestly, I think in the hybrid world, you're right. In the hybrid world, this makes sense. It makes sense to have a very high price. And you probably want to keep as many people actually in the bundle as possible. Um, but come the longer term, if the MVPD bundle goes away and you have to price very high, that's when you have your problems. So you really do need to maintain this hybrid world where you can cross subsidize, get the casual fan to watch your content and maintain a relationship with the team because the future of the team is only going to go so far as the number of fans that it has. And you want that to be as broad well, as possible. Well, that's the really scary part of the second thing that's on the slide, right? Because Amal Sharma, this is Wall Street Journal, broke this news, um, I guess, or Joe Flynn broke this on Friday after our podcast. Warner Brothers Discovery wants to shutter three regional sports networks and stop paying the media rights. So they're basically saying, look, we don't make money on these contracts. Just 
take them. Like, we don't even want these. We don't want to have these RSNs. We just want to shut these things down because we can't make money on them. That's got to be scary for teams who are like, how do you replace those dollars? I don't know. I mean, basically, if you're moving to all over the top, there's a whole bunch of other issues when MLB is running over the top anyway, right? How, how effective is their marketing going to be? I know that they were early from a tech infrastructure standpoint and going direct to consumer with MLB.tv, but are they going to be able to effectively market this product? And how much of a loss are those teams going to take? And those te- pull up the teams again. Seems like a pretty important year for MLB. It is. Pull up those teams. Because I, uh, I don't remember. I, I know Pittsburgh's one of them. No, I, th- I don't think it showed it on here. Okay. But it, I mean- as, as I remember, okay, the AT&T teams are middle to kind of smaller market teams. Those are the ones that are already having trouble competing with the large market teams from a salary standpoint. And the fact that they're going to make even less money now, likely, is going to be a problem for competitive balance. Colorado Rockies, Houston Astros, Pittsburgh Pirates, Seattle Mariners. Okay. Well, some of those teams, they're all you know, smaller budget teams. Some of them have more effectively managed being a small market team, even though Houston's a big city, still, you know, a low payroll team um, than others. And obviously the Astros have done the best at that. But what's interesting about this too, and I think we should go to the next slide, is John Arend um, has a tweet, Warner Brothers Discovery really, really wants to keep the NBA right. So just the last slide, we're talking about how they're basically abandoning RSN, saying we want to shut these things down. Here, NBA owners, MLB owners, have your rights back. Um, and this is um, the head of WBD Sports, Lewis Silberwasser, uh, who's, I think, a former Discovery guy, goes, um, if we were not interested in a long-term relationship with the NBA, we wouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. When we speak to our league partners, they know it. It's just funny that part of, you know, following their actions is abandoning the RSN business, which again, I don't disagree with the fact that the model's broken. I'm not surprised they're getting out of it, but um, especially given sort of Warner's focus on cash flow and, you know, ending a lot of things that didn't make sense monetarily. But you also have to wonder like, why do they actually want to be in the NBA rights business given what's happening to the multi-channel bundle? Maybe it makes more sense for Turner not to do their NBA deal, especially if folks like NBC want to overpay for it. Right. Well, we don't know. Look, they're still getting affiliate fees out of out of Turner and the driver of those affiliate fees are are largely the NBA. I know, obviously, they have some hockey and baseball playoffs and and some baseball now. But and this little thing called March Madness that starts soon. Yeah. So maybe they you're right. Maybe they don't fully need it. My guess is that in this national rights situation, there's going to be such an atomization of the regular season rights that you'll probably have, you know, the, they could come in for a little bit or their hope is that they could come in for a little. Maybe they take 20 games throughout the year. They keep the uh, association with the NBA um, and 
yeah, that's it. And they can kind of work it out from a free cash perspective, as well as a, you know, affiliate perspective. I don't know. Walt, why don't you read the next slide? Sure, Rich. This is from Alex Sherman, ESPN Scoop. We love when news people say scoop in their tweets. ESPN has held conversations with leagues and media partners about building a feature that would link ESPN digital users directly to live sports games, including those that air that air on or whatever. I think what Alex is basically saying here is I'm in the ESPN app and no, something you have to read the rest of it. No, no, it's, it's fine. So I think what Alex Sherman is saying here is you're in the ESPN app and there's another game that's in NBC sports or Peacock or whatever it is. And they will provide a link out of ESPN to that other thing. And I think obviously the goal there is they want me to go to e open ESPN first. So right now, if I use, let's say I'm using Apple as my platform and it's showing me a lot of the stuff that's there and alerting me if there's close scores, it sounds like they want you to go to ESPN for all your sports needs and to get you in their little ecosystem by also making it a better consumer experience. It's a focus on the consumer. So I, I respect them for that attempt to focus on the consumer and give it, give you, give the consumer what they want. hundred percent don't like disagree. I think that ESPN wants to become the singular destination that if you are a sports fan at all, you have to have ESPN plus period. I think that's it just is, what I said it, in, it is, in shorter uh, words. Yeah, yeah, I literally just said that, but you just encapsulated in shorter words. But thanks for the footnote. Oh, so it wasn't meant to be a footnote. <laughs> I Maybe I was having some comprehension issues. <laughs> maybe. No, you did a much better job at summarizing it. More encapsulating short. it? Sorry. Yes. Yes. We flip right. roles there. <laughs> I, think, roles I, I think what I don't really understand, though, is it seems like the role that you guys are discussing, which I think everyone would like, feels like it probably is more natural flowing from the TV operating system, whether that's Google TV, whether that's Apple TV. I think in general for broad content, yes, Rich. But if you're, what Brandon just said, if you're specifically interested in sports and you say what's on in yes. sports, I'm not going to rely on Apple TV because they're going to filter it with a bunch of other content in there. I just want to see what is the sports that, that, I have available to me right now. Also, yeah. I think the appification of the world has made so that you can have the right environment for every type of content that you're watching. And having a dedicated sports environment as a launching point for everything that you're watching makes sense. Because okay, but if I'm going to play devil's advocate, I'm going to say everybody wants to, you to keep you in their world now. Yeah. And the last thing that Peacock wants to do or the last thing that you know, I don't know, Paramount Plus wants to do is have you keep going back to ESPN to be your home for 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 for, for sports. But here's the thing. If what does Fox if want? E that? If ESPN owns a preponderance of the national sports rights, which they do, which they do they have the largest share for sure. And, and you want to ensure that people Walt always talks about, oh, I can't find EPL. I can't find this. Yep. I can't find that. If you want to ensure that sports fans that want to watch your content actually land on your content, then having an affiliate link out of ESPN actually will get people to your app and get people watching. 
And it's also, I think, um, optimistic, foolish. I don't know what the word is that I'd use to think that like a sports fan is just going to go to Peacock and think that there's enough sports exactly. there to keep them satisfied and not go elsewhere. So the cost benefit, I think, to them would be like allow ESPN and whoever to do this. You guys have to work it's free together. marketing. It's right. like and affiliate you, marketing. And if you work together not as free, a streaming though. group, you're just going to make it easier for the direct TV or the cable customer who's hanging on to that cable box um, to switch over to you. I think it's a win. I think it's a win-win for both the, I, I, if you want to call them competitive streaming services, the Peacocks and Paramounts of the world and ESPN because ESPN becomes the destination has every sports fan subscribed. And then people who would never go to Peacock and potentially sign up wind up there with a strong affiliate link out. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I see the cons this consumer side of it is obvious and clear. The question is, is you're talking about getting a lot of companies to agree to work together, which sounds well, You don't need a lot. You just need to pick off one at a time. And let me ask you this question, Brandon. Let's go to the next step. Do you ever get to the point where rather than, hey, you're sourcing me a new monthly subscriber, what I've said in the past, which is rather than monthly for everything, maybe there's like a sports vertical within Peacock and, and they allow you to get billed through the Disney bundle or ESPN and just, you know, click into that sports and suck that content into the ESPN app. Why? For incremental revenue that they might not be getting otherwise. Yeah, I think they want to use the sports though as a reason to get people to subscribe to their, to the overall thing. Yeah, to the overall. So mm -hmm. I don't know necessarily um, if that would work as a strategy. But look, there are ways to think about bundling. All of these smaller services are talking about bundling with other services now. Perhaps if you know ESPN could be like okay. As part of the ESPN bundle, you're a soccer fan. You could also subscribe to uh, Peacock. So my, go back, here's my telco corner. I've said this a thousand times. Verizon, Verizon. Verizon. Oh, my God. Would love to have you as their own postpaid customer. But if they can get that incremental revenue of wholesaling to, for, through Comcast and Charter, they're willing to do it. And that's, that's been like one of the principal drivers of their paltry growth. So that's, again, back to my point, like it depends where the desperation level is of these sub streamers and saying, are were you willing to take sub revenue that better to have something than nothing? Yes, Rich, you raise your hand. What, a, what an incredible segue. Oh. Into Verizon. Oh, speaking of paltry growth. No, um, stop. Ladies and gentlemen, this is officially. And on our screen, we have a tweet from Hans Vesberg, current CEO of Verizon, saying, today we announced several executive management changes. These appointments will develop and grow the next generation of our leadership teams as we unleash Verizon's full potential moving forward. CFO is gone. They put a consumer person in there. Um, you know, on the call, Hans said that, that um, Sanpath, who's the new, the, the new head of consumer, has years of consumer experience. Yeah, there, if you look on LinkedIn, this, this is a social media app that shows all the jobs that you have. I, I'm searching for the years of consumer experience. It seems like it's all business. The interesting part of the resume, which Joe Galone identified, is Sampat spent 10 years or nine years at BCG, <laughs> which 
you more consultants. consultants, more consultants. And I have to say that, you know, one analyst Are, that we've trolled. we kind of consultants though? No, we're not. So no. one analyst that I've trolled <laughs> on Twitter because no. on earnings calls, he says, unpack a lot. Michael Rollins from Citigroup actually asked Hans Vestberg about the seven vectors of growth. <laughs> vectors. <laughs> the seven vectors of growth. Uh, what, what else was the, it walt what are the seven vectors again? i have no idea but, <laughs> but what's amazing is they didn't have this dude on the call and secondly like he's been there for x number of years so someone the obvious question is okay what's how does the game plan change what's your focus on units versus our there's no answer and like i, I think you need to have answers like it, it's the person is not walking in the door from day one if you're interviewing for the job and he competed with people internally Clearly, he had to have presented a plan to the CEO and to the board. So how are you not at least commenting on, here's how we're going to approach consumer going forward? You can't provide this excuse at this point in your performance of saying like, oh, give him a chance to get in the seat. Like he's been in the seat and there has to be a plan. It's like hiring a new coach for a football team and not expecting some type of approach to how he's going to get that team to win or lose. Why don't you just blame AT&T? That's what, um, you know, lots of other companies in our space seem to do. Stocks off 0.8%. I think that tells you everything. That reminds me of that vanilla, really vanilla song. Blame it on the ring. Remember that song? Thank thank you for that unnecessary (laughs) interlude. Well, speaking of blaming it, I mean, when you do a management shuffle, what does that tell you for the fact that you're not going to have any change at the top? How much time does that buy, Brandon, typically? when you shuffle around, fire the CFO and or the CFO leaves, whatever that happened there. What, how much time? That's like firing your offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. Right. So how much time? To, it buys you a season. A season. Yeah. So, so season in corporate terms, is that a year? Does he have to I, I don't the know. calendar year? I don't know. Might be. Yeah. Hmm. Stay tuned. So we've got a, uh, this was a story in the FT this week that Meta's AI-driven advertising system splits marketers. Uh, social network claims successes with tool to counteract Apple's privacy changes that resulted in billions in lost revenue. And essentially what this is, is um, sort of Meta is really good at fixing problems, right? Like they have thrown an army at trying to deal with the um, Apple privacy changes, ATT, IDFA. And effectively what they're doing is they're using AI to sort of go in and sort of test ad campaigns. And so it's basically figuring out the brands are actually turning over some of their creative and the AI at Meta is actually testing different things, different ads, figure out which one converts best to basically better understand the consumer and how they react. And so it's essentially improving conversion, fixing the problem that AT&T and IDFA created um, through machine learning and artificial intelligence. And so the, Which, the by negative- the way, other um, digital advertising companies are doing as well. The interesting thing about Meta, or not interesting, but their competitive advantage is two things. One is they have the most users, and two is they have a lot of cash to burn. So if you contrast it with (laughs) (laughs) if you contrast it with snap they're at a huge competitive disadvantage because they can't run as many ml 
tests and instances as the likes of Meta. And the pushback from the brands, and there were some brands in the, and it's talking about sort of the problems of this is that you're basically empowering Meta to sort of control some of your creative. And so there is certainly that negative, but I, you know, to me, it, it sort of shows how, yes, yes, we are probably not at pre-IDFA levels for targeting, but how Meta continues to catch up faster than investors realize. And I think it just bodes well for sort of performance on the ad side, even in a weaker global economy. Meta's continued sort of rebuilding of the ad stack to improve targeting and how far ahead they are, to your point, Brandon, versus others. Now, the question is, because of the iterative nature of machine learning and and AI, does it do their competitive advantages get greater and greater and greater? Mm -hmm. So such that they kind of get escape velocity from everyone else. I know we've spoken to TikTok about this, and they've said almost unequivocally, it's going to be impossible to catch up to meta in ad targeting and you know, the quality of ad serving and even creative because of these advantages, because A, they got a head start, B, they well, have the scale, the the scale. and and just scale in general. Yeah. And what is that? What point. does that mean? I mean, obviously, Snap is got some catch up work to do and they're kind of, you know, they will have a step function in improvement probably this spring as they, you know, get full acceptance of their clean rooms as their algorithms catch up a little bit. But once they make that step function, are they and others who are of smaller scale going to be able to compete or the giants just get even more giant on this? I think we hear that a lot. I don't know how much, how credible it is. A lot meaning across different industries. You know, I've heard that in terms of, um, you know, auto autonomous driving. Technology is a funny thing though. I mean, you get some smart people properly incentivized at small companies. And um, I don't know, I, I understand the point. I, I just don't know if it's um, necessarily true. Not fair. I mean, it's it's just a theoretical point. Yeah. And, and, and it's more of an open question than necessarily a point. Yeah. Or do these virtuous circles- Certainly like, not bad. Sped up. <laughs> it's certainly not bad, right? At virtuous circles, atomization. How many of your little favorite buzzwords you're going to drop? Wow, man, <laughs> nice, Rich. I mean, give me a break. Let me just play a short video. This is staying on the meta topic. This is if you don't follow the account on on Instagram or Twitter, it's called X Tadium. So X T A D I U M. This is tied to the joint venture or what the NBA recently did, putting games into um, the Quest VR world, and so. For our podcast watchers, you're going to get to take a look at what the NBA game looked like in Watching VR. the NBA in stadium is wild. This could be a 1-6 matchup that we're looking at right now. What is that feeling like when you're in this mode? Well, it's tough. It depends on what situation. This is what I've been dreaming about. Yes. I know. This is what you talked about on the podcast that when this deal was announced, I don't know how many months ago, but this is what you talked I mean, although I think you yeah. talked about, could I move down the court? Like if they're shooting a foul shot, could I be pushed down to the 
you know, so I have a better angle. Maybe not now, but at some point, right. I mean, sitting mid court at MSG in the first row is pretty fucking good. I don't think I need to move around if if that's my seat. (laughs) No, you're getting different angles is pretty cool. Imagine if they have it. So, so they have, have it work so you can actually like literally run on the court. So like Joel's about to take a free throw and you're like sitting on the foul line. Well, at, awesome. at the at the tech summit, they they pretty much they demonstrated where you I mean, can. That's awesome. Be one there, of the. Players. There's your use case right there. So Brandon, you want to read the rest of this slide because it all ties into sort of what Meta is doing in terms of their roadmap for VR and AR. No, mixed I just wanted to say that I want to go to what is uh the link? Is that where the Eagles play football? Yes. Yeah, and sit in like the last row of section like 368 or something in a giant jersey and see what happens <laughs> see what people are saying and doing now that's exactly that's almost as interesting to me as sitting like 100 like, i agree with you <laughs> i agree with you all right this is from upload vr breaking quest pros price is being cut from $1,500 to 1000 just four months after launch. The price of the 256 gigabyte Quest 2 model is also being reduced from $500 to 430. Well, so much for the focus on profitability, but we know it's going to be a competitive market um, for VR or really just mixed reality hardware. With Apple coming, we know that um, in June, Apple is going to um, announce their VR headset. There's obviously games competition from Sony in this regard, and it's it's a market share battle. So, you know, cut price. And it's probably the case that Quest Pro just wasn't selling. So that's why you had a cut from I mean, 1500 to $1,000. The original iPhone, the price was cut within the first three months. And now people regularly spend what a thousand twelve hundred dollars for their iPhones. I'm not concerned about the price. This is so early stage, well, especially for early adopters, right? Who are yeah. willing to spend the money. You can go two routes. I think I think they're they're looking and saying like, let's get people using it to build the ecosystem, build buy-in. That's fine. Like you know, I think sometimes people jump to too many conclusions on some of these early price moves on equipment. It's just not meaningful in the grand scheme of things i, I think, think they're also trying to figure out what the market size is sure. and the software is still evolving i mean to your point that stuff on nba that just launched i mean there's a lot of new stuff that's still very very early days yeah it, if get, i can get this in I, the world in the hands of developers there's going to be many more use cases sorry to cut you off Walt. no that's okay I, if i'm if i can sit mid-court 30 yard line 300 section and uh, have the presence experience that a lot of the people described. That's um, the hard after, part. Okay, but if if they can achieve that, yeah, everything's hard. Technology is hard, and then you get there. If they can achieve that, I'm fucking spending fifteen hundred dollars, whatever it's going to cost for that. Look what would you pay for football tickets, regular season football tickets on the secondary market right now. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, the question is that presence is the word. I don't even know if it's the word for sort of that. It's like an ineffable feeling that you get when you're among a crowd of people and you're all kind of cheering together and you get to high five the guy next to you that you don't even know. Like there's something very special about that. And I think that VR can get maybe not asymptotic, but maybe close to that, but is never going to give you that exact feeling. 
So the experience economy is about going to that special game. And sometimes you go to game, like I went to the NFC championship game. It was awesome to be there, but it wasn't a great game because all the Niners were getting hurt and everything else. But you're trying to capture that moment. That moment doesn't always exist. But even if you have the experience as you, as you present it, if I can get 50% of the way there or 70% of the way, way there. And again, let's go back to the reviewers, the people that actually used and went and did this thing with Mark when he was doing it, like Ben Thompson and others, they all were expressing that it did give them that feeling of presence, whether it gets a hundred percent of the way there with the crowd feeling, I don't know, Brandon, but like if you have 3d sound in there yeah. and you've got the video, but I mean, you're going to get a, a large percentage of the way there. By the way, I mean, we've like in our venture business, we have um, demonst- demoed um, touch um, virtual re- touch for virtual reality where you you actually get feeling it's just not the exact feeling of someone spilling a beer on you no no no, as as high-fiving someone but there are new digital ways to convey um physical feeling um i mean it's obviously very early on but uh let me ask you this question maybe i'll ask it called the merge that's working on that now Rich, what are you going to do first? Here are your two options. Option number one, you're going to watch a full Giants game with your goggles on in this virtual reality, as we've just described. Or option number two, you're going to go to a Giants game wearing an augmented reality so you can see stats and things like that. You're watching the game and you and you can see the player identified and saying like, okay, this is his third catch, 30 yards, whatever, which is going to happen first for you. Hmm. I mean, I think the first is just obviously easier and less from a technological standpoint. Yeah, I think the other one is. I mean, I think VR is further off from a technological standpoint. AR recognizing that I'm, you know, I don't know, a hundred yards away from the player up in the stands on the second level, and it knows that player is that player. The, I mean, look, it's interesting. You can see numbers on 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 the jersey. Yeah, I mean, look, um, maybe uh, you know, I, I. it's I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm sure the NFL could partner with someone and say, we're going to put a you know, RFID or with some type of marker in the helmet that emits who the, who the different players are. And there's a lot of ways to do it. I was um, talking to Cuban about this um, at, um, at, at NBA tech summit. And he actually said that he is not in favor of adding those AR layers because he thinks that it takes away from that special feeling of the group experience when you're at a game and that he doesn't want technology to be a, um, uh, a disruptor of that unique feeling that you get when you're at a live game. Jerry Jones put a screen that extends from the 20 yard line to the 20 yard line above the football field. That I, I, is it really any different? Same market also. <laughs> I'm not saying one is right or, or the other. Um, well, some, many people would argue in your favor because like a lot of times people say, yeah, when you go to the game, it's distracting, it's it distracting is. to, to not look stadium. up at the screen. I know as opposed it, to the game. It, it actually is. In fact, like when I go to concerts, I don't like when they have the video screens up because I find it distracting. And a lot of times, even if I'm close, I find myself kind of like staring out at the video screen. You getting distracted by something. Oh, well, anyway, I, <laughs> I'm not the only. Come on, that was a layup. ADD, I'm not the only ADD person on Earth, Walt. Come on, Walter. Oh, that was a layup. Walter. Uh, Walter, could you read this from the Wall Street Journal? Uh, sure, Rich. Apple blocked. 
an update to an app over concerns over a new ChatGPT powered AI feature, uh, which they believe, I guess, could generate inappropriate content. And this was headlines. And I mean, I think the challenge here, Rich, is, um, and I think there's been a lot of anti chat. We talked about this in the last podcast and how like JP Morgan and others are shutting it down. I think the challenge here for Apple is, you know, they're kind of perceived at the moment by the consumers kind of as the good guy. That's why I think a lot of the app store stuff maybe doesn't resonate the antitrust stuff and Facebook is the bad guy. So the the whole um, ad stuff effectively went in their favor, even though there was people saying like, Hey, you shouldn't be able to do this. But like if Apple ends up being in this kind of role as always the arbiter of what's good and bad, like, yeah, there are some people that appreciate that, but at some point you're like, all right, dude, back off. Like we don't need your mommy state and you deciding what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for us in your app store or everywhere else. So I think it's, and I've always been very complimentary of them in the past and said, this is good for their reputation. But if you start doing it over and over again, that's a slippery slope in terms of how you you end up getting perceived, not only by the consumers, but then by regulators. Like you're going to put a target on your back. That's that's more important, right? It's also not clear like parlor. Right, like they kicked out Parler. Like there were things that clearly they saw as violating yeah. terms of service. It's not clear here what the what they were worried about. Like clearly, there's nudity. There's like there's clearly things that you ban from the App Store for. This was completely unclear. Like the why? Okay, why are they banning TikTok? There's nudity on TikTok. There's nudity That's- on Twitter. And and so by the way, on, on Instagram, it's, remember it's they reversed their yeah. policy on that. The bottom line is Apple is doing continuously what's good for Apple. Everything Correct. is a strategic front. Okay. Look at the ad business. They killed right. what was the biggest sort of casualty app of, installs. Of, app yeah, installs. Was app install ads. And what is the only ad business that they actually launched? Their own in, right, right, their right. own app install ads. I mean, come on. You're, you're right, Brandon, but, but they, they were winning the narrative. They were. Even though they were doing it for themselves, the perception was, hey, we're just here protecting your privacy and look how bad Mark is and all they're doing. Yeah. But my D- point despite is Despite how loud Tim Sweeney and others were screaming, yeah. Correct. So, you, But if you start, if you keep doing it and you keep Slippery pushing stuff. that envelope, you're going to lose the narrative. And people are like, what the fuck? Like, no, enough of you deciding what's right for me. I'm an adult. Thank you. That was Republican corner in some regard. Um, I think we should set this up, Brandon. We've got our Emanuel and Endeavor. Yep. Um, the clip we're going to play is from the conference call uh, that he was asked about. I think it was effectively it, asked about. It was about, WWE. it was about WWE. Like one of the biggest issues for Endeavor and a huge overhang on the stock has been M&A in general especially after they did that betting deal, which wasn't really well-liked, especially in retrospect by um, investors because it was smaller, but you're kind of getting away from the core of the business and what they call their flywheel. Um, But WWE is the big one. And in order to do WWE, presumably you have to do a dilutive deal because of the multiple disparity between the the entity so why don't we listen to Ari um, here so you know we you know his business is really valuable 
Um, and But we're not going to do anything as it relates to kind of changing our leverage position right now. So we're not going to lever up. Okay, we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna change our leverage. So they have a couple of issues. One is they have high leverage, and investors want them to delever, especially since they have a ton of variable rate debt that they're getting killed on in this interest rate environment. Um, if you do buy WWE or you do a reverse Morris trust into it, WWE has no leverage and is in e- a big reasonably big EBITDA generator. So you can actually keep your leverage the same and do and put a cash component into the deal by putting, you know, whatever, what are they levered at? Like 4.8 times. You could put three times on WWE and pay for a fraction, albeit a small fraction of the $9 billion ask. But you're going to have to do a stock component or have a cash infusion from a third party, which means selling stock in the combined entity. And it is almost impossible to make that not dilutive. So that's the concern from Endeavor shareholders. Now, Endeavor has performed the last two days. What we're hearing on that is that they're messaging that they wouldn't necessarily do a dilutive deal whether they're messaging that directly, because that's not kind of how it came across, I think, in your conversation with them, Rich. But that is the word out there. And all of a sudden, Endeavor stock is taking off and WWE stock is kind of like flatlined. Oh, no, I I think it's just, I I think the messaging is pretty clear. We don't have to do this. Like there's no, you know, UFC is dramatically undervalued inside of Endeavor stock. And no one is really pricing in what the renewal could look like. WWE has flown on excitement about not only just the renewal, but the the sale of the company. And so there's a big multiple disparity. And so I think the, 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 the Endeavor standpoint is just like, we don't like, would it be a great acquisition or a great merger? Absolutely. I think the stock is up because they don't have to do this. And I think the more they sort of say, well, they're messaging it. That's the difference, right? So if you go back, I mean, since, you know, I can remember since Vince left, Ari has been messaging that they wanted to do this deal. Sure. Right. And investors, you know, big investors in Endeavor are like, we don't want to do a deal where the target is priced, you know, pretty much for perfection. And it's a dilutive deal. And by the way, that deal is dilutive if even if you do the WWE step up on the next rights deal, but not in not endeavors on UFC. If you want to go out to 2026 and you think UFC is going to get a big, big step up and you do the accretion dilution on 26 numbers, it becomes even more dilutive. So the comfort now that they may not do something super dilutive is is what's helping the stock. The only other thing I wanted to highlight on Endeavor, just because it was interesting, was they actually had um, artificial intelligence actually read their opening remarks. So Ari Emanuel's opening comments on the call were a essentially an AI engine trained as Ari's voice called Speechify that actually replicated Ari's voice. And I don't think anyone, if you hadn't told anyone that it was an AI voice, I don't think anyone would have known. So just... I know AI is a big topic and ML and well, whatever. Well, we, but- we used to call these rich 
I mean, we, you and I went to a conference specifically on deep fakes, I think four yep. or five years ago, where we saw this done before sure. it was like referred to as being in the AI bucket. But, but, but um, can I just say that before, but ra rather than using AI to read the opening remarks, because I think between the three of us, I can't count the thousands of conference calls. Could we just kill the opening remarks? Like just no more opening remarks on any call. We shouldn't need AI. We shouldn't need anything. We should just not have opening remarks. Unless there's that something you want to, I mean, look, I'm fine with some opening remarks. If you want to like, you know, you're going to get a bunch of questions. Let me just hit this right at the get-go. I know we missed on gross margin. Here's the three issues that impacted gross margins. Yeah. Like, like five minutes, yeah. which is kind of how Snap has actually gone to do it. They put their letter out. Like Netflix was obviously the first to do the letter and then just, you know, Q and a, um, they put their, they put their letter out. They address a couple of issues and then it's right to Q and a people can read and people can read at their own pace. No one yes. needs to listen to you drone on. No, no one wants to record those opening remarks. No one wants to do them live on the company side. Just fucking get rid of them. Uh, Brandon, why don't you read this? This is from Tom Warren. Microsoft's Activision deal likely to be approved by EU regulators, says Reuters. Licensing deals with Nintendo and NVIDIA have reportedly eased competition concerns. Full details here. So EU is obviously, and Walt is our kind of regulatory expert, the toughest hurdle generally to clear in M&A, and an important one because they don't have a court of laws backing up whether or not they made the right decision. We've said this all along. If Activision is willing to license Call of Duty to third parties, including Nintendo, Sony, and NVIDIA and other, you know, especially streaming services, which NVIDIA is, I don't necessarily understand what the problem is with this deal. Now, Lena Khan in the, in the U.S., um is you know is taking this to court i think that book uh starts in august don't see how this doesn't uh this doesn't go in the favor of uh microsoft activision just feels the like UK, there's a shot the this UK, actually the, feels yeah, like there's this, still a yeah. shot this deal happens like UK, I, can we just UK, boil it down uk is still a hurdle though uk okay. is still a hurdle okay it just feels like we're getting closer to yes yeah. that's all i'm gonna say from Let's an analyst go. perspective, I almost rather it didn't happen because I think Activision's a fun company to have public, but I think this should go through. Let's go to what I thought was one of the most surprising um, things that we had in the podcast this week. We've got, this is, unfortunately, this is a video that if you don't watch our podcast, hopefully you will, or you're starting to watch it on Spotify as we roll it out there shortly. But um, the tweet is from someone called Creek Craft. And it says, I can't believe this is a Roblox game. Yeah, this I'm going to play the video. This is pretty sick. Describe what's on the screen, Brandon. I mean, it's a classic first-person shooter that looks like it has you know, near triple-A graphics. And um, you know, it, it'll look like your Call of Duties or whatever else. The name, but it lives inside of Roblox. But it lives inside of Roblox and was built on the Roblox engine. It's called Frontlines. And it just shows you that Roblox, the capabilities to build much more advanced games with much broader appeal is happening on that platform. With already. bigger monetization opportunities too. Older people, older demos, bigger wallets. Yeah. 
I mean, Roblox has been aging up. If it gets these type of experiences, you know, it should age up further. The question is, I think, almost like a bit of a psychological one. A is, are much older demos, core games players going to go to the Roblox platform um, to play these type of things? And B, are younger players who are used to Roblox being one thing going to evolve with? I, I personally think that that isn't a huge hurdle, but I've heard that expressed as a hurdle from a number of people in the industry. Uh, let's move on to the next slide, Walt. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum, I don't even know how you say that. Quantumania, I guess. Quantumania, Quantumania. made $32 million in its second weekend at the, D, the domestic box, box office, excuse me, marking a 69% decline from its debut. This marks the biggest week-to-week drop in Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is, are you going after Marvel here or theaters? Because I thought on the flip side on the theaters, wasn't there a positive thing about that other like cocaine panda bear, whatever the hell it is? The, the cocaine bear it's actually not did. not a panda too. bear. No, no. It was a, and it was a real, and it was a real story. That's the crazy thing. But like it actually. But the, but isn't didn't theaters have a good weekend a couple of weekends? So what's the point of this? Are you, are you bashing Marvel? Are you bashing movie theaters? No, what not bashing doing? Marvel. We're sort of talking about what Brandon and I have been sort of citing, which is that uh-huh. it was part of Iger's challenge, not just strategically figuring out ESPN and Hulu, but the content, whether it be, you know, several Pixar films in a row haven't really worked. Mm-hmm. The Marvel films seem like they're not, I mean, these are not bad numbers in the scheme of like other studios would like a lot of Marvel numbers, but you know, the animated stuff has not really worked recently. Um, the Marvel stuff seems a little weaker than it's been before. Um, I don't think this film is going to do as much as Ant-Man from back in 2018. So it's just, it just highlights that the, the, the hardest part of this Iger round two or Iger the sequel is that it takes time to improve the content. Like there's no quick fix to content. All of this content was greenlit two and three years ago. And so it takes a lot. I think Bob's got whatever, 21 months left on his contract. uh, Iger, that is. This is going to be a multi-year content rebuild because they've got to get stuff in the pipeline that or space. You know, I know we talked last week about spacing things out, giving stuff more time to breathe. I know you like the word churn, Walt, but like they definitely need some of this stuff to be better. The multiverse just isn't working. I think it's more of a very specific content issue on that particular vertical. Mando is, uh, I haven't watched it, but Mando is a good part of the Metacritic um, franchise. Were good. What's that? Metacritic reviews weren't good on Mando. Well, it's just, oh, really? Well, we'll see. I mean, there's a, there's obviously a loyal base there. I'll give you my yeah. reviews in due time. Um, <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> I expect that by next week's podcast, by the way. What's interesting, though, is I'm watching this HBO show, The Last of Us, and it's the Mandalorian guy. And, you know, it's basically like a reboot of walking dead and it's also kind of a reboot of mandalorian it's like the mandalorian main character and he's got like a in, instead of little baby yoda he's got a youth a <laughs> youth protect, a, youth. a, a girl like yeah. the, it's just not a youth a youth two youths. You sound like he, joe pesci or something he got two youths he's got, he got a youth he got two youths <laughs> all right rich next slide go last slide oh wonderful um and i i, I put this in just because I don't know if you guys what have been reading. hell? But let me just read it. It says, a redstone, a porn star, and a cat kidnapper walk into a bar. It, it's a story in Puck News, and it's it's sort of an extension. There's been a lot of news in the last couple of weeks about the Redstone family. 
um, because a new book came out um, from Jim Stewart called Unscripted. And uh, Brandon, I, I don't think downloaded you- in my Audible. I have not. I, I, I meant to read it, but I, I am telling you, I am is telling it you, it is. First of all, I, we knew a lot of these stories, like a lot of these stories have leaked out over the years. But the what I think that comes across is how close these two women got to essentially swindling Sumner out of his like basically taking control of Viacom and CBS back in the day. Like they were that close to sort of getting if, if Sherry hadn't stepped in and really exerted like what could have honestly happened. It's, it's just an amazing read. Like I can't put it down. It is literally amazing. So that story came out and it just made me think of like, it's, it's a, it's sort of a, a, a riff on sort of all of the stuff that started coming out related to this. And so it just gives you more reasons to want to read the book uh, when you see headlines like that. And um I don't know. It, it's it, there. Even that article from Puck News is pretty funny. It's it's about um, one of uh, Sumner's grandchildren and a battle she's in. And it, the Sumner is a, a constant source of of stories. I have a question for you, Rich. Yeah. Do you what think? Is this music. Yeah. Rich, what is this music? Uh, you started it at the wrong point, Rich, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> And I started it at the beginning. That's all right. Uh, Here's my question for you. Do you think given my ADD, I could get through this book? Well, I would think you would do what Walt does, which is you can basically use the Audible. It's an audio book, Brandon, if you don't know what Audible is. It's an audio book platform. I know what Audible is. Okay, good. (laughs) So, But since you can't sit still... You could literally play the audio book as you and pace around your apartment. Yeah. 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 So Getting just think, steps like, up. Right. You would get your calories burned and you would actually learn something about the sector and have more things to talk about with other people. You want, I think I know enough about the sector, by the way. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think that's, a, that's just a pure entertainment play there. Now, my wife has given me like four fucking books to read on parenting. And guess how many pages I've read in total? Well, why don't you get the audible version That's of it? And then I'm you can in now. Maybe I could maybe I could do the audible. You you should be like the poster child for Audible. I don't even know how you got through college without it, honestly. I can't actually see you sitting down and reading a textbook ever. Um Rich, I don't know how I did it either, honestly. <laughs> by, by the way, this is worse than the opening music. This no. is literally worse than the opening. And that's a hot, that's really hard to do. Rich, again, you chose the opening music. I gave you. Yeah, and this is worse. I like the opening music versus this. Versus or in general? I don't know. All I know is that's episode 148, everyone. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend.